Well, C.S. Lewis said that joy is the serious business of heaven. And I don't doubt for a moment that he's correct. Joy is the serious business of heaven, but though joy may be serious business in heaven, it can be a serious, serious challenge for us here on earth. And we all know that. Our joy can be pressed out of life in so many different ways. And we saw that in chapter 1 of this amazing book of Philippians. We saw that there were circumstances that the Apostle Paul faced that could have taken away his joy, but it didn't. His main desire was to see the gospel go forward. And we see that in verse 12 to 14 of chapter 1. You don't need to look over there. We won't uh, read over all of these passages. But you can see there that his main goal, his main aim was not his own comfort, was not his entertainment. It was to see the gospel go forward and to advance. And so the circumstances couldn't take away his joy because the end result was happening. The gospel was going forward. And in that, the Apostle Paul rejoiced. So there were circumstances that could steal his joy, but there were also people who could steal his joy. And we saw that in verse 15 to 18 of chapter 1. People who stirred up trouble just to try and afflict him further in his imprisonment, in his chains. People who stirred up trouble that that would make things worse for him in his imprisonment. But in spite all of their efforts, they couldn't steal away his joy. They couldn't steal away his joy. Joy in this world can be a serious challenge. We can be challenged with circumstances. We can be challenged by people. And often it's the people very, very close to us where that joy stealing can happen. People even in our own families where these things press in on us and become a weight to us and our joy seems to evaporate in light of that. So circumstances and people can steal our joy. However, the right kind of people, the kind of people that we see here in the life of the Apostle Paul, can enhance our joy, can make things more joyful, can alleviate pressures in this world and make it easier for us to find our joy in the Lord and in serving the Lord. Now, love is in the air at Faith Church. We see it in several couples around us, and we see it with some of the people that are here tonight. There's Henry and Sabrina and Dyson and Isabel and Dylan and Tanya, all engaged to be married. Matt and Chelsea's wedding's coming up. Love is in the air, and in that we rejoice. It's great. Marriage, as these people are figuring out, just being close to someone, just having uh, this engagement has enhanced their joy in their lives. And that is one of the great things about marriage. It does, it is meant to enhance our joy. Why? Because it alleviates lots of the burden. The two, the two become one flesh. And so we're spread the load of the burdens of this life. The heaviness of this life. And here in the book of Philippians, Paul names two individuals that shared the ministry load with him. Timothy and Epaphroditus. They enhanced Paul's joy. They were good friends with the Apostle Paul. They were servants of the Apostle Paul. And so they took away a lot of the burden of life in the Apostle Paul. Now, Timothy is, is fairly well known. We know a lot about Timothy from our Bible readings. But Epaphroditus isn't as well known. And if you're, not, if you're fairly new to the Bible, you might think that that's some kind of malady or disease or condition. Epaphroditus. Some people have appendicitis, some people have Epaphroditus, but that's not what he, the name means. It's not, 
at all what the name means, and we'll discover what it means here in a few minutes. But Paul's theme in chapter 2 has been humility, to be lowly-minded. And he said all the way back in verse 3, in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Serving one another, loving one another in humility, caring for one another. And he provided for us two great, superb examples. One, the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, the supreme example of humility that we saw back in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 2. He describes the amazing humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, the Lord of glory, very God of very God, who lowered himself, became incarnated as a man, and died that very cruel death on the Roman cross. That's the ultimate example that we saw of humility, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Even though he was very God of very God, yet Christ humbled himself. And so that was the first example that he gave. And the second example that we see is the Apostle Paul himself, who said, I'm willing to be poor, to pour my entire life out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your faith. And we looked at that several weeks ago, that Paul was all in in his commitment to the Lord and to the Lord's church. That is the picture that is in view there. He was all in. And though he was humble. He was a humble man. He knew that his weaknesses um, could, could dissuade him in ministry. And so he calls us to imitate him in spite the fact that he is a mere man. That is quite a lofty thing to do. I don't know if you run around telling people to imitate you. Maybe there are characteristics in your life that people can imitate, but the Apostle Paul was quite bold about that. Imitate me as I imitate the Lord Jesus Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. He's a great human example because he followed so well the great divine example of the Lord Jesus Christ. So those are two examples, but Paul goes on here to describe a couple of more examples. And one is Timothy. Just a little bit of background about Timothy and who he was. Timothy was a young man that Paul met on his first missionary journey. And his first missions trip, he went through Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And we know that Timothy's mother and grandmother were believers, but his father was not. And it was probably on Paul's first mission trip in the town of Lystra that Timothy gave his life to Christ under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And so later on, he'll become part of Paul's missionary team. He became a close companion with him, a fellow worker with him. And Paul relied on him heavily as one who was proven and one who was trustworthy with the ministries that he gave them. And when we think about it, when we think about the ministries Paul gave to Timothy, we see that he sent him all over the place. He sent him from Athens to Thessalonica, from Ephesus to Corinth, from Ephesus to Macedonia. And these travels covered over 800 miles. And now Paul is talking about sending him to Philippi. And so that brings us to our text here this morning, and we'll just kind of be reading through and making commentary as we go here. So Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means, I hope in the Lord's will to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. So despite Paul's hope to visit Philippi soon, he thought that he'd be able to send Timothy 
to Philippi and that Timothy would be able to then return and bring good news from the church at Philippi. And this was typical of the Apostle Paul. He was always concerned for the churches, what was happening at the churches. And we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. And then Paul goes on to give a profile of Timothy so that they would accept his ministry without any hesitation. He gives a a commendation of Timothy so that his ministry would be uh, received. And we see this great commendation here in verse 20. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Now Timothy, right from his upbringing in the scriptures, being trained by the apostle Paul as his protege, Timothy stood out in character and in service. And so this is a high commendation that Paul gives to Timothy in this text. Paul is saying, if I can't be with you, I want to be with you, but if I can't be with you, then I'm going to send the next best thing, Timothy. He's totally reliable. He's proven himself in all sorts of ministry situations. He has no agenda, just a concern for your welfare. And that's who the Apostle Paul wants to send. And it's in great contrast to the next people that he mentions. In verse 21, for they are all, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Paul told us back in chapter 1 in verse 15 that some preach Christ from envy and rivalry. They do not have pure motives in the way that they're preaching the gospel. They want to stir up trouble for Paul. They want to have people see them. They're self-centered, self-focused, seeking their own interests. They were not like Timothy. They were no longer single-minded, but they were double-minded unstable in all their ways. They were not like Timothy. But you know Timothy's proven worth, verse 22. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And you can see the tenderness of the Apostle Paul for young Timothy here, for his son in the faith, as he's trained him for all these years and all this time, spent this time with him. He's like a son to him. And I can remember when my kids were little, that they always wanted to follow me around. They always wanted to help me, whatever job that I was doing around the house. And of course, that wears off when they're teenagers. They're quite happy with you doing all the work yourself. But when they're, when they're little, they want to help you with little tasks, right? And so I, would, I got my son Landon. I got him a little tool belt with a small hammer that was hung down the side and a, and a level on the other side. And he could follow me around. He could make pencil marks on wood. And I wouldn't let him use a skill saw, of course. But, but uh, we didn't want to go to emergency that badly. We went there other times, of course, but, but uh, kids want to follow their fathers around and emulate them and, and do the things that they're doing. And we see that, that the time that young Timothy spent with the Apostle Paul paid great div- dividends as he worked alongside of the Apostle, growing in his faith, growing in grace, growing in serving, and he became great, of great value to the Apostle Paul in his service of the gospel. And it's this type of service that the Apostle Paul wanted to send to Philippi for their good. And now verse 23, I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So Paul wants to send Timothy, but he needs to wait until his trial is complete. He needs Timothy to be there with him. He was of great value uh, for him and with him, and serving with him, and he anticipates that both of them, one day, once all these proceedings are over, that both of them will get to go to Philippi. 
But he's going to send somebody else immediately. There's going to be delay in Timothy and Paul going, but he wants to send Epaphroditus immediately. So Epaphroditus, as I said, is not a disease. He was a servant of the Apostle Paul and a great servant at the church at Philippi. And we're introduced to him here in Philippians chapter 2, but we know very little about him, unlike Timothy. He's only mentioned here twice in the book of Philippians and nowhere else in the Bible. There is an Epaphras in the Bible in Colossians, but that is not the same person. And so what do we know about Epaphroditus? Well, we know that he's a Gentile. We can pick that up. He was a convert of the Apostle Paul as well. He's from a pagan town of Philippi, and his name gives that paganism away because Epaphroditus means beloved of Aphrodite. You can see that root word in the name there. So the Greek goddess of love and fertility, um, Epaphrodite, or, or Aphrodite. Epaphrodite. So Epaphroditus means somebody who belongs to or who is favored by that pagan goddess Aphrodite. And so he had pagan roots, pagan background, and he was saved on one of Paul's missionary journeys. And he was obviously trusted by the Philippian church because they had sent him with these things, these gifts, monies perhaps, for the Apostle Paul, for his good. And he's also going to be sent back with the letter, this very letter letter that we're holding, for the church at Philippi from the Apostle Paul. So he was trustworthy as well. And you'll notice next in verse 25 that Paul writes no less than five titles for his friend Epaphroditus. And the first three are in relation to Paul and the last two in relation to the church at Philippi. And so he calls him my brother, my brother. Now that is very, very significant in the Greco-Roman world. It was very much segregated along Greeks and along um, Romans and along male and female and slaves and free. All these different sharp divisions that, that were in, class divisions, nationality divisions. And into that culture comes the gospel. That was very, very counter-cultural. And we are all equal at the foot of the cross. That's one of the great truths that we learn in the scriptures. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. The bond that we have strips away all these different divisions, all of these different cultural divisions that we see even in our culture now. All these things get stripped away and it's a great reminder for us from that culture into our culture that there will be no peace in our culture without the Prince of Peace, without the gospel pervading in our hearts and in this land we will not have peace. And so Paul heaps on these five different descriptions that we see here, that he calls him my brother, but he also calls him my fellow worker. This must have been greatly encouraging to Epaphroditus to hear this. He was not Paul's equal mentally, scripturally, the capabilities, the intellect of the Apostle Paul, but yet the Apostle Paul says that he's a fellow worker. They worked side by side laboring for the gospel. And he also says he's my fellow soldier. Paul knew that the Christian life was a battleground. Was a battleground. And I love how the Westminster Confession says that the Christian is in a continual and irreconcilable war. That's life for us in this world. We are in a war. An irreconcilable war. 
And so he calls him a fellow soldier. And he calls him your messenger. And the word Paul used means delegate or ambassador here. And we see Paul using that word many, many times in the scriptures. 2 Corinthians 5. Epaphroditus volunteered to make a very dangerous six-week, 800-mile trip to to represent the gospel. And so he is your messenger and your minister to my need. Now the word Paul used in this is the same for liturgy. And it really means that Epaphroditus' service was a sacred duty exercised for Paul and for the Lord. And so as we move on here, we see verse 26. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And so that Epaphroditus became ill The church caught wind of this. They're worried about him. And so Epaphroditus is concerned about this. And he is distressed about this. He's in deep anguish about it. And indeed he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And when God spares someone from death, it's always an act of mercy, isn't it? It's always an act of mercy when God heals us of something. And not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul would have been grieved at the loss of his friend, at the loss of his brother, all those different things that he provided to him, all those things that he lists there. He would miss those things and have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, verse 28, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So, though this would be a loss for Paul, he would be relieved that Epaphroditus would once again be reunited with his home church, where they could use him again, and that he could receive reports back from the church there as well. And so, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So, Paul is receiving or is referring to servants who sacrifice for the gospel. We are to respect and admire people who serve and labor in the gospel. And one of the most obvious things to us would be missionaries. Missionaries are those who reach out with the gospel. Perhaps foreign missionaries who go away to these lands where things are very, very uncomfortable for them. They don't have the creature comforts we have any longer. They leave behind family, all of the comforts of home, and they go to bring the gospel for the furtherance of the gospel to these lands. So how can we support missionaries? We can support them practically through finances. We can uh, support them prayerfully. We can take a moment this week to pray for them. We can use our bulletins and find out who our missionary of the month is and pray for them. Be faithful in that. We can contact our missions committee and find out who all of our, our missionaries are to be better informed and pray for them. We get emails from time to time about that, and that's good. Prayer items for that. So praying for them. Verse 30, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life. And the Greek word for risking is parabolusa menos. And it literally means to throw aside, to gamble, to disregard, to expose yourself to danger. And it's sometimes used for gambling. And so soon after in the New, the New Testament was written, there was a group of Christians that banded together in an association that they called the parabolani which means the gamblers. And they referred to Epaphroditus as their model for service. 
So we see Epaphroditus, this model, this excellent example for us that extended down through the ages as a model and example for us. And they would go to different places that nobody else wanted to go. They ministered to the sick that nobody would go to. People with contagious disease that nobody would minister to. This group of people would band together and they would go and minister to them. And so for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now that might raise the question, what was lacking in their service? It sounds like kind of uh, like the Apostle Paul is taking a shot at the church at Philippi. What is lacking in their service? Well, nothing other than their ability entirely to come and bring aid to the Apostle Paul. That is the only thing lacking. And so they sent Epaphroditus to come and fill in their place for them. Physically, they couldn't come to Paul with a gift to try and alleviate his burden while in prison. And so they send Epaphroditus to do that for them. So that is the only thing that was lacking in their service was their ability, all of them, to carry that out. So Timothy and Epaphroditus, two great examples of service and of humility that the Apostle Paul provides for us. Now, what can we say by way of application? There's a couple of things, but just a few major things. And I'd have to ask you the question, are you living in Philippians 1.21 or Philippians 2.21 this evening? As you look at this past week, are you living in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ, or 2.21, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Christ. There's two ways that we can live. We can live for ourselves or we can live for Christ. And if we're living in 221 and not 121, how do we get from 221 to 121? And I'm going to leave that with you as homework for the week to discover some of the things that you can do in your life. It's not really that hard if you think about it. Some of the basic disciplines of the Christian faith that can get us from 221, seeking our own interests, to 121, seeking the interests of Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. Now, when I was a boy, my brother and I had what was called action figures. And I can remember one Christmas, he got G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe is the most uh, famous action figure ever created. The most sold items of action figures is G.I. Joe. And he had the Jeep, he had all the clothing for him, he had the weaponry, all of these different things. And I had, that Christmas, the $6 million man. Anybody remember the $6 million man? Now, this action figure... Uh, he, he had that, that reconstructed eye. You could look through the back of his head and look out the eye. I can see Barham nodding. Maybe he had one too. And it came with this packaged uh, engine that, you, that the $6 million man could pick up and you could pump this thing on his back and he would lift it up and he would put it down. He'd lift it up, he would put it down. And it got very boring very, very quickly be, to be doing that. So it wasn't nearly as exciting as G.I. Joe was or nearly as profitable today probably. But the $6 million man and G.I. Joe, what were they? They were action figures. And when we look at Timothy and we look at Epaphroditus, we see that these are men of action. They're busy in the kingdom of Christ. They are going. They are doing God's bidding. They are servants of the Apostle Paul. And you get the idea, the 
the impression from reading this that Timothy and Epaphroditus are just sitting around waiting for the next move, waiting for the next assignment, waiting for the next instruction from the Apostle Paul to get going and to get on with things. Are we of that sort of people? As members of the Church of Christ, are we just seat warmers? Or are we people of action? Are we just names on a membership list? Or are we active in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ? And what are we to be active for? Well, first of all, we are to be active for the Lord. First Peter 4 says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So we are to serve for the glory of God. That is our ultimate purpose for living and for being is to serve for the glory of God. We serve in the strength that God supplies for his glory. We don't self-serve. We are not to be self-servants. Serving to be seen, serving to be thought well of, serving for the affirmation of others. If that's why we serve, and if that's what we get, then that's it. That's the end of it. That's our reward. That's what Jesus said. We can't expect anything else from the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If we're serving to be seen and we're seen, we've received our reward. That's it. We can expect nothing in the day when Christ rewards us. So we are to be active for the Lord. And then secondly, we see as a preface to those verses that I just read from 1 Peter 4, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. To serve one one another. God did not minister to Paul directly in prison, in, in his prison. He didn't directly have things drop out of the sky for the Apostle Paul. Things weren't droned into him and just dropped into his lap from the Lord. He used Epaphroditus, he used Timothy, he used others to alleviate the burdens that he had while in prison. God determined that the burdens of Paul's life would be shared by other people, the broader church, and so should ours. Paul was not too proud to receive help from other people. That should be a good lesson for us. Some of us are too proud to receive help. Some of us don't want help. We don't want to ask for help because we're too proud to do that. And it can be hard for some of us to receive help and for some of us to reach out for help in our time of need. But yet that is what the body of Christ for. We see that we are to practice the one another. God wants to use us to minister to one another and be ministered to in our time of need. We are to practice the one another's. And why do we practice them? You practice things you're not very good at. And so we need to practice the one another's. We need to know what they are, first of all, from the scriptures, to pray for one another, to love one another, to be kind to one another, to forgive one another, all of those things. And then we are to put those things into practice. Serving God means to serve one another. We can't say that we are servants of God if we do not want to serve the Lord's church, to serve one another. Now, just to close, ultimately, Timothy and Epaphroditus were like the rest of us. 
They were not perfect in anything that they did. They were not perfectly rendering this high example of service. They were mere men and, and people like we are. They weren't totally people of action. They weren't totally living all the time in Philippians 1.21. They weren't totally dependable and reliable servants of God all of the time. And so that's leaving us to look to someone else who is perfect in all service rendered. And that, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who is willing to lead by example perfectly, who was perfectly willing to sacrifice and to suffer, who was committed to seeking God's will and obeying the Lord's command continually, and he did so perfectly, who was committed to building God's kingdom and advancing the kingdom, who was committed to serving others, as we see in Matthew 20 and verse 28. The Son of Man came to be ser- not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Let's pray. Oh God, we know that none of us can render perfect service. And yet our hearts want to. And so we pray and ask, oh God, that you'd help us by your power, that you enable us, that you'd quicken us, and that these services that we render would be received by you as imperfect as they are, and that you would glorify your great and holy name by them and through them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.